Hey, Gaggle listeners, I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez, national politics reporter for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen. I cover national politics as well. Ready or not, the 2020 election is in full swing. Candidates from both sides of the spectrum are on the road trying to get your vote. And odds are you're going to see a lot of them in Arizona. As the 2018 election showed us, our formerly red state is now a little more purple. It's really up for grabs, so Republicans and Democrats will be treating our backyard as a battleground. We really want to take you along for the ride this year. We're hearing a lot about presidential candidates in these very broad national terms. But we want to get a sense of what their policies would mean for Arizona voters. So leading into the 2020 primary, we plan to talk to as many as the presidential candidates who come through Metro Phoenix as we can. So we're going to ask these candidates about Arizona specifically, or issues that apply especially to Arizonans. Normally you'd have to buy a $500 fundraising ticket to hear some of the answers that we hope to provide for you. So this is one of the few times you'll hear our candidates speaking directly to Arizonans about issues that matter to us. The first candidate to come through Arizona who we were able to interview is Julian Castro. So let's get a little background on Julian Castro. Yvonne, what can you tell folks about him? So Castro has been seen as a rising star of sorts in the Democratic Party. He's Latino. He really lit up uh, the crowd back in 2012 with a fiery speech that he delivered at the Democratic National Convention. He is a twin. Uh, His brother Joaquin and uh, Julian are both known around Texas for their politics, for being the grandsons of uh, Mexican immigrant. Their story of go- getting up by their bootstraps and going to college and really rising as successful figures, especially Democratic figures in a state like Texas, is one that is really familiar in Democratic circles. And they've both been uh, catching the eye of a lot of people for a, a while now. Julian was uh, mentioned in some circles as a possibility for the vice presidential uh, nominee for Hillary Clinton in the 2016 presidential cycle. So he's no stranger to the national stage. He's also the first Texas Democrat to run for president since 1976. The gaggle interviewed Castro on May 18th when he was a keynote speaker at the Democratic party's annual fundraising dinner in downtown Phoenix. We caught up with him inside the Phoenix Convention Center that night. Here's our full interview. Secretary Castro, thank you so much for joining the Gaggle, AZ Central, and USA Today Network. We know you're really busy on your presidential swing through the West and across the country, really. You have spent quite a bit of time here in Arizona, but Arizonans may be less familiar with you. What is your big pitch to Arizona Democrats as you try to introduce yourself to them and make your case uh, for them to vote uh, for you? Yeah, I know that we have 23 candidates now that are running for president, but I think that uh, voters in 2020 are looking for three things. They want somebody that has the right experience to be president, somebody that has a strong vision for the future of our country, and somebody who's a winner who can beat Donald Trump. Uh, I'm one of the few candidates that has strong executive experience, having been Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, managed a $48 billion budget, 8,000 employees. 
I was mayor of San Antonio, the seventh largest city in the country. I have a strong vision for the future of our country that we be the smartest, the healthiest, the fairest, and the most prosperous nation on earth. And I can beat Donald Trump. You know, we lost Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania by less than 80,000 votes collectively. I'm confident that I can go and get those votes for those three states and that I'm the best candidate to offer a second path, which is the 11 electoral votes of this state, of Arizona, the 29 electoral votes of Florida, and the 38 electoral votes of my home state of Texas. So uh, talking about Arizona and winning and such, uh, in 2018, Kirsten Sinema won a Senate race for the first time for Democrats in Arizona in 30 years. She had a pretty moderate message. How do you see yourself competing in Arizona? What's the message that you, you want to take to voters this time, and how does that it compare uh, in terms of moderate, uh, more progressive? Well, I'm, I'm progressive. Uh, I believe, though, that that connects with a lot of people here in Arizona and throughout the country, uh, whether we're talking about the need to invest in things like universal pre-K for three- and four-year-olds or to have universal health care to make sure that um, we do things like invest in affordable housing because you see the rents going through the roof, so to speak, in places like Phoenix or Tucson or even Flagstaff. So I believe that the vision that I have for the future of the country is one that resonates in a very concrete way, aside from the labels that anybody would assign to it. Healthcare here in Arizona's Senate race last year was the number one issue. It's shaping up to be the number one issue again in 2020. Where do you stand on this issue and how will that change the lives for Arizonans in a meaningful way if your policies were enacted? Well, on healthcare, I believe that we ought to aim to be the healthiest nation on earth in the 21st century. If we want to do that, it's going to take a different healthcare system. Uh, I would make Medicare available to every single American. And also, um, if somebody has a private health insurance plan or supplemental plan and they want to keep that, then I believe that that's fine. They should be able to do that. What I don't believe is that anybody in our nation, in the wealthiest nation on earth, should ever go without the health care they need just because they don't have the money to afford it. We have a situation here on the border where thousands of people are entering this state uh, all the time, and it's affecting Arizona communities in various ways. We have, it seems, a political stalemate. Democrats want to talk about immigration reforms. Republicans want to talk about border security. Um, really, what is, what is it that you bring to the table on this that offers any chance for a breakthrough on an issue where it seems like we've had a stalemate going back to at least President George W. Bush? Well, I have a diff totally different vision for how we should handle immigration than President Trump. Now, I believe that we can have a border that is secure and we can ensure that we maintain its security, but we should choose compassion instead of cruelty that we should end family detention, we shouldn't be separating little children from their mothers, that we should put people who are undocumented, as long as they haven't committed a serious crime, on a pathway to citizenship. And a few years ago, we were on the doorstep of passing immigration reform. Uh, now, my vision for our immigration system is different from that legislation, but I believe that we can get there again. But how do you... How do you get there? Senator John McCain, former Senator Jeff Flake, we're all very aware, Arizona voters are aware of, of their efforts. How do you restart that conversation in a productive way given the dynamics of today's 
politics? Well, I think it begins by recognizing that, of course, there's always going to be compromise and negotiation that happens. But I do believe that you have a majority of people in the Senate and even in the House that are willing to consider how they can compromise on fixing our immigration system. Uh, I have a very progressive vision on immigration. At the same time, I recognize that if we're going to get things done, we're going to have to negotiate and compromise. And my belief is that with a good faith effort from a president who doesn't just want to use this as a political issue, but who wants to actually solve the problem, and as president, I would be after solving the problem, not just using it as a political ploy like this president. I think we can actually move forward and try and get things done with Democrats and Republicans. Um, the economy seems like it's doing really reasonably well, and this has been a point of pride for President Trump. Um, why should we be making a change right now? President Trump is like uh, the guy that got the ball on the two-yard line, right, his opponent's two-yard line, and President Obama basically took the ball from his own two-yard line all the way across the field, put it on the two-yard line, for President Trump, you know, when President Obama took over, we were losing 700,000 jobs a month. And during his tenure, there was more than six years worth of month-to-month -month positive economic growth, which was the longest streak of economic growth in our nation's history. So this president is basically profiting off of the tremendous economic growth that we made under President Obama, and you know, already is risking that growth by things like his erratic trade war with China, right? creating so much business uncertainty. So, um, you know, he can try and take credit, but really he's living off of the work that the previous president did and is actually creating so much chaos that some people are predicting that we're going to have another recession in late, late 2019 or sometime in 2020. What can Arizona voters expect to see from you and your campaign over the next 18 months or so, 20 months, 22 months, however long it's going to be? Well, Arizona voters can expect to see me here a lot. Uh, I believe that this state represents the future of not only the Democratic Party, but the nation, this Sunbelt state that's growing, that's diverse, whose economy is diversified and steeped in 21st century industries. I'm going to go chase the votes here in Arizona. I'm going to be here a lot. We're going to organize in this state, and I'm confident that with hard work that I can win the primary here when Arizona votes on March 17, 2020, and then if I'm the nominee, win the 11 electoral votes of Arizona. Well, best of luck to you. We will be following your campaign, and uh, we hope to see you on your next trip here. Thanks a lot, y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so let's break down the interview and pull out our key takeaways. One of the most interesting things that he said, I think, that sets him apart was universal pre-K. Right. You hear a lot of candidates talk about college debt, understandably, by the way, um, but not early childhood education. He helped broaden access to pre-K when he was mayor of San Antonio and paid for it with an increase in the city sales tax. Um, this is all part of that sort of executive experience that he likes to tout. Um, he's made all of this a cornerstone of his presidential bid. What do you think his path looks like in Arizona? So when voters go to the polls in March, 
they're going to have a lot of Democratic options on the table. This is a change from 2018, for example, when we had essentially Kirsten Sinema on the top of the ticket for Democrats heading into the 2018 Senate race. This is something that really sort of allowed Democrats to coalesce around a candidate who maybe wasn't their first and best choice on every issue, but they knew that she was the one person who gave them the best chance of winning. In the presidential race, someone like Julian Castro is going to offer uh, some policy preferences certain factions of the Democratic electorate here will want, but it really is a test, especially in a state that just showed that perhaps the path to winning may be a more moderate voice to win over independence. Do they really want to get behind somebody who is perhaps exactly what they want on progressive policies, but do they really have a chance to carry the state in November? I think his ethnicity may help him in this state. Arizona Democrats, as you know, have long called for a Latino or Latina to represent them on a statewide level. I think he will help uh, bring some of that energy around him uh, heading into 2020. And look, he might not end up being the Democratic nominee, but this is a measure of what the conversation looks like right now among Democrats. You might not follow the day-to-day fight or the day-to-day, you know, conversations on this policy or that, but it is worth following, um, you know, their ideas and their platforms because eventually they may end up influencing the actual nominees' uh, policies down the road. Even if he doesn't become the candidate, he will probably campaign for the candidate here in 2020. He could be a vice presidential nominee or a secretary position again. This is the first candidate we've interviewed. Keep in mind that Arizona is a battleground state, and we're going to be seeing a lot of candidates and their surrogates uh, through 2020. We're going to do our best to get them on the show and ask them about the issues that you care about. Well, Geico listeners, that's it for today. Follow along with our coverage on azcentral.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. If you want to stay up to date on Arizona issues going into the 2020 election, please subscribe to our show and leave it a rating so others can find it too. Thanks so much for listening to this week's show. Today's episode was produced by the very best people in the world, Katie O'Connell, Taylor Seeley, and Kayla White. Special thanks to videographer Sean Logan for helping get audio from our interview with Julian. Check back next week for more.